0: I'm Malia White, real-life bosun and cast member on Bravo's Below Deck Med. Working in my industry can be very interesting. These are my stories. As you'll find out, my world is a Total Ship Show. Welcome back to Total Ship Show. I'm Malia White. I'm Amanda Logan. And today we have a very exciting guest. His name is Ted. Hello, Ted. Hello. Ted, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and what you do?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, My name is Ted Nichols. I am currently a second mate, second officer aboard uh, Coastwise Jones Act Tanker, um, graduated from Maine Maritime, did the officer route, been sailing for about six years, and I've worked all along the uh, Gulf of Mexico for my first few years, uh, East Coast of the United States, and for the past couple, I've been uh, up in Alaska doing crude oil and product uh, from Alaska down to California, Washington, and Oregon.
0: That's amazing. So, commercial side of things. So, it's a little different than yachting.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: <laughs> definitely. Um, and second officer commercial route. So, are you? Is this Coast Guard tickets? Then are you? You're American. Right?
1: Yes, yes, I am. Um, U.S. citizen, American, and I hold an unlimited tonnage uh, second mate's license.
0: Amazing! Congratulations. That's awesome.
1: Thank you. So
0: what was your journey like making it
2: to that point, like all of your schooling and getting tickets?
0: Well, have you, so have you always been in the commercial industry or did you, did you do something before this?
1: Uh, So I started off, I actually got into the industry or started to. Uh, My dad went to Maine Maritime, graduated, sailed as the chief engineer uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And so that's kind of how I got into it. Graduated high school, went to Maine Maritime. Graduated with my unlimited tonnage third mate's license and went straight into tankers. So I've been uh, in the commercial industry ever since.
0: Okay. And um, tankers, I mean, to me, when I look out and people are like, oh, what kind of ship is that? I'm always like, oh, yeah, that's a tanker. (laughs) But So is that um, the commercial world? So do you try to stick on tankers or do you like you don't want to be on cargo like you'd prefer it?
1: So I am with a union. Obviously, there's a few commercial unions out there. I sail with American Maritime Officers Union, which is based out of Fort Lauderdale, uh, Dania Beach, and I can sail on essentially any vessel I want. Um, I've been with tankers so far. I really like it. I like the challenge, um, and it's kind of what I know. Uh, definitely in the future, I think I would like to try some other ships, whether OSVs. Uh, I mean, container ships, bulk carriers, something along those lines. But for right now, uh, it's been a pretty steady job, and I do work for a good company, so I'm pretty happy where it
0: Okay, and what size is the tanker that you work on?
1: Uh, 600 feet long.
0: Jeez. And, Ted,
1: just
2: for layman's terms, like what, you know, for people that don't know anything about this business, can you sort of break down exactly what it is that these big tankers are doing?
1: Yeah, so essentially uh, we work – for, or I work for a company that charters tankers to the big oil companies. So all, all the tankers, Jones Act tankers are ships that are owned by U S companies that are managed and then chartered out to let's say Marathon, Citgo, Exxon, Chevron, gotcha. and we move their oil from the refineries to the distribution points for their companies. So for example, uh, let's say we'll go up to Valdez, Alaska, load L- through the L.E.S.C.A. pipeline and we'll take oil from there for one of the oil majors and then bring it down to the refineries in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. uh, Portland, uh, Oregon or uh, LA Long Beach. And then from there, they'll refine to the gas, jet fuel, whatever they need and then distribute it via either pipeline or um, rail or truck to the individual stations. So we do the bulk carry of crude or product from refineries to their final locations.
0: Oh, wow. And so, and you, you said chartered. So the companies are essentially, you know, they say that we need it there by this date and we're going to charter you for however long, essentially how long is a charter? Like a couple?
1: It kind of depends. It depends on the economy. So we like, a lot of the companies like long-term charters. So anywhere between three and five years that will work for, let's say, um, ExxonMobil, they'll charter the ship and we'll move their oil. And then after the five, three or five years expires, we're up on the market to go to another oil major. Some ships are on spot markets. So for example, let's say we're with Exxon, but BP needs uh, someone to step in and say, oh, we really need oil or uh, gasoline in Fort Lauderdale. You know, uh, Exxon may lease us out essentially, subcharter us to BP to carry their oil. Um, to where they need it. And how long no does idea. it
2: take you? Like when you go, you know, you pick up the oil from Alaska, you get it down to Southern California. How long does one trip take
1: you? From Alaska to Southern California, I would say about five to six days.
0: Oh, And that we can travel. be some rough weather on that yeah. coast, right? I was just uh, out in Oregon, by the way. I love Oregon. And uh, yeah, you, I mean, you look out there some days and the seas are quite rough. And
2: I mean, I would imagine like as opposed to being, you know, a, a second mate on a yacht where your job is to keep the – the guests safe and everybody on, on the yeah. boat safe. You're like, okay, how do, are we navigating these waters with a huge oil tanker? Because that could be really dangerous if something happened.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so it's kind of a balance. I mean, the commercial industry is all about money, right? It's time, 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 time. So, I mean, we're operating 24 seven as fast as we can, but as safe as we can at the same time. Uh, we travel sea speed anywhere between 13 and 14 knots uh, around the clock, nonstop i mean you know it's tens of thousands of dollars a day more than that to charter these tankers uh so you know when we travel from alaska in the winter where you know it's sub zero temperatures you're looking at storms out there with 10 15 20 foot swells we go through it but we have um software uh voyage planning software that takes into account uh the weather the winds the seas and then we can route plan so we may have an original route going from Alaska to uh, Washington, the state of Washington, but then if there's a storm coming, we'll be able to plan for it and deviate. We may even just go to anchor. Sometimes it's too bad for a 600-foot ship to go into it, so we may just drop anchor for a few days and just wait for the storm to pass and then go.
0: So out of curiosity, because I've heard of maritime accidents in the past um, with you know weather routing and they didn't make maybe the right decision, does your ship... Um, Carry an Ectus system, uh, oh, which yes. is an electronic chart system. Okay. So you actually have electronic charts?
1: Yes, yes. So we're okay. actually fully paperless. So we don't have any paper charts. Okay. We have two independent Ectuses that we navigate by that okay. we can, uh, you know, I actually upload the weather to. And yeah. So we can do uh, weather uploads to the Ectus so I can see when I route plan for the ship exactly what weather we're going to hit, the swells, where the wind's coming from, and everything like that.
2: How many individuals are a part of your crew?
1: Uh, so, with uh, the deck department, the engine department, unlicensed, and the steward department, anywhere between twenty and twenty-three. Sometimes oh, okay. we have a few extra. But
0: when you guys yeah. are underway, let's say, so not many people are actually going out on deck, right? Like all the hatches are closed, and your sole mission is to get from point A to point B safely and quickly. And you don't, you're not doing a lot of like outdoor. Is that correct, or am I?
1: We um, we actually do do a lot of outdoor. Oh, okay. So. Um, Sea time, for us at least, is the easiest time, I would say, Uh, the most calm time, Uh, but so we work eight hours of watch a day, and then we have four hours of overtime, and during that overtime, we have to upkeep the ship, Uh, so any nice days, we're out shipping and painting the deck, um, doing preventative maintenance inspections, pulling equipment apart, obviously the tanks are sealed and all of that, but there's a lot of equipment on the ship that needs to be upkept and um, overhauled sometimes, so you know, sometimes I'm out on deck for my total overtime for four total hours, and uh, I yeah. see. So that's, that's
0: the time to like repair it, do the paint. You know, like kind of check all the things that need to get checked, and
1: exactly. And it's tankers are a little bit different. I mean, if you look at container ships, bulk carriers, and uh, any type of those those ships, when they get into port, a lot of the time, they are not responsible, fully responsible, engaged in the offload and onload of their cargo. So for example, like a mate on a container ship usually just oversees it. And a lot of times they'll get night mates that come on. So the officers can actually go ashore. But on tankers, we're in charge of the offload and onload. In order to be a tank, a mate on a tanker, you have to have what's called a tankerman PIC, uh, which is an endorsement on your MMC through the Coast Guard. And it states that you are now in charge of the dangerous liquid transfer of whatever's in your tanks safely ashore. Our watches go from Eight hours on the bridge navigating to the ship, to then eight hours in the cargo control room, um, manning all the pumps. You know, we'll discharge on my ship twenty thousand barrels an hour, and it, you know, so it's pretty quick. And uh, so we do all that as well.
2: That was going to be my next yeah. question: Is how much do you, you know, participate in the actual like getting getting the oil onto the tanker and getting the oil from the tanker to its destination?
1: All our responsibility. Wow, wow. so engineers yeah.
0: aren't just heading that up. It's... We
1: work in line with them. They don't do the transfer of uh, cargo on the ship, oh, uh, okay. but they maintain all the equipment that we operate to transfer the cargo.
0: And have you ever had an instance where, so I'm guessing the holds that the oil is kept in, have you ever had an, like, an instance where that, like it's leaked or you've had a problem with the hold? or?
1: Uh, we've never had uh, like a breach in the hold or anything like that. Um, I've had instances where, you know, gaskets and little leaks on deck through the pipeline have happened. Um, Nothing over the side, uh, which is always good. But uh, yeah, every now and then we'll get something like that. But I mean, most of the United States tankers are so new. Uh, They're within, my ship's only five years old. So it's it's practically brand new. It's beautiful. So all the equipment works really well. We do our preventative maintenance schedules to make sure that uh, nothing goes wrong.
0: And what would you, uh, if you had to put an estimate in like the amount of money that you're carrying in oil, what would you?
1: Uh, so if you wanted, I would say anywhere between raw, I would say 15 million at any one time we'll be carrying. Yeah. So what, we'll- We can carry up to 300,000 barrels and one barrel is 42. So 300,000 times 42 is the amount of gallons we carry.
0: My question is, so uh, you know, like in the commercial world and somewhat in yachting, uh, depending on where you're navigating. But, you know, you think of these commercial guys with cargo ships, they have to worry about piracy a lot. Is this something that tankers worry about? Not so much off the coast of the United States, I'm guessing. But
1: yeah, in the United States, not really. Um, So we work, like I said, under the Jones Act. Uh, which requires domestic oil that goes from U.S. port to U.S. port to be transported by U.S. ships crewed by U.S. mariners, which is nice. And that keeps our ready reserve fleet and everything like that up and running in case they're needed in times of war. Uh, So we don't really have that issue. I mean, at any time, we're 100 to 200 miles off the coast of the United States which you usually don't have pirates. But let's say a foreign tanker definitely would have an issue. There was actually, I was reading something down in the Gulf of Mexico, in the Yucatan, there were some pirates going on, OSVs out there. So, you know, it's definitely possible.
0: Yeah, I was thinking maybe for the ones that are navigating in different parts of the world, I guess, because getting that ship, you would then own whatever's on board. I guess they could sell the oil off.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, they absolutely can. And I know... You know, I've read a lot of reports on some of the pirates. Most of the companies pay. I mean, a lot of the pirates don't want to hurt anyone. They're just doing what they need to do to get by. It's wrong, but they just want money. And once the company pays, they're done. So yeah. I I do know some people that have been on ship that have had pirates board. And it's it all usually ends okay.
0: Yeah. And so for you, you're, are you I'm assuming you're on rotation as an officer, right?
1: Correct. For uh, days aboard. Yeah. Yes.
0: So what's that like for people at home that might not know? What kind of like the work schedule is for commercial tankermen?
1: For commercial tankers, anywhere. uh, I do 75 days at sea and then 75 days home. So two and a half months at a time. Six months is full time at sea. And then I get six months of vacation. Um, And that can change. I've done anywhere to 100 days plus. We got uh, kind of stranded on the ship during COVID when there were no crew changes going on when that first started. And you can do as low as 60 days. And it, it differs company to company. But for standard tankers, I would say about 75 nice. to Nice. That's
2: awesome. Do you think, Ted, that you'll always do this job in the United States? Or do you think that you'll ever do this in any other countries around the world?
1: Uh, I, You know, the big thing with U.S. mariners and the companies and foreign is the pay difference. So a lot of foreign ships, same exact tanker, will pay half of what U.S. pays. So, yeah, so, you know, the United States, the merchant fleet is pretty small compared to what it was what it was decades ago. Uh, but the pay is really good. So you can go work for foreign companies, but you're going to make probably a half of what you would make in wow. the United States.
0: And with that, we're probably going to say you're, you know, it's you do get rotation and good pay, but there is some dangers to this, correct? And I hear that you have a danger story for us.
1: Uh, yes. So it was actually... Uh, my first trip is third mate out of school. Um, I was on a vessel, a uh, tanker, and one of the things that we carry with crude oil is the vapors, and the vapors can be very dangerous. One of the vapors is called hydrogen sulfide, H2S, uh, which is an off-gas of petroleum, so crude oil, not your gasoline, not your diesel, raw crude oil. Um, and a lot of times it'll come from your WTI out of Texas, Eagle Ford, uh, any kind of sour crude will have your H2S. And uh, essentially, I was on deck and a release of gas happened. And I breathed in the H2S vapors and the inert gas vapors in the tanks. Uh, within about 30 seconds, I was n- knocked unconscious. I kind of tried to escape, don't remember anything. And then I woke up to the crew around me on the ship and I had fallen. And afterwards, I had learned when I fell, I hit my face on a steel deck frame. And I ended up uh, pretty much. Uh, hairline fracture to my eye socket, slight uh, dislocation to my jaw, um, broken nose, uh, just a lot of blood everywhere uh, that I had to be carried off the deck and then actually evac from the ship to Galveston Bay, where I was in the hospital and recovered. Uh, But extremely, extremely dangerous. You know, it was something that was invisible. It was a gas. And that's, it's very dangerous on tankers.
2: So, what happened? Did they did your crew f- come and find you when you were unconscious? Because if it's a gas and it's enough to knock you out, what would the long term effects if you were in that environment for you know several hours look like?
1: So, luckily, it was on deck, oh, okay. um, so I was out in the open, um, and there was that's r-
2: terrifying. It was still strong enough to knock you out.
1: Yeah, heavier than air, so I was below where the gas escaped from the tank, and I, I took two breaths, and that was enough. And since I was out on deck, there was a cadet that was next to me that was luckily far enough away Mm -hmm. that was able to radio for help uh, while I was on deck. I mean, if I was in a tank, nope, see you later, wouldn't have happened. I was going
0: to say a lot of the MIB reports we hear from the commercial world are exactly that, like either cargo ships or tankers, but, you know, like seafarers going into a tank and not testing the oxygen levels or something first and just... But to hear that you were out on deck and it wasn't even exactly. So how did they, how did they figure out like yeah, yeah it leaked. What from was the... the malfunction?
1: So without getting too into detail because it's kind of boring, essentially <laughs> tankers uh, have an inert gas system. So it's a pressure system, right? So in order for a tank not to explode, you take the oxygen out of the tank. So you can essentially have a spark in a tank full of gasoline and it will not ignite. So if you remove oxygen from the tank, you can't have a fire, right? Mm -hmm. So our system pressurizes itself, and we have relief valves. And one of the relief valves blew accidentally when I was under it. Um, A little bit more in depth than that, but so that's kind of how that happened. And there was a big investigation by the company, the charterer, a lot of um, corrective actions came out on it, but that's essentially what went down.
0: That's insane. Like, I mean, you're really lucky that you weren't, like, you weren't anywhere near the side of the ship or, like, didn't have, like, a more serious injury, like, and that people were around and saw it happen.
1: Exactly. I remember when I first took my first breath and the second breath, I realized I couldn't breathe. So I grabbed my neck, looked at the (laughs) cadet. I'm like, "I, I can't breathe. And then I was just trying to get away from where I was. And the last memory I had before I passed out was grabbing the railing of the ship.
0: Oh, my gosh. That is terrifying. Oh, my gosh.
1: So let's say, you and know. And you're still
2: doing this. <laughs>
1: yeah, very, very lucky. And I ended up hitting on the deck frame. My mouth opened when I collapsed and I was passed out. I ended up hitting right between my teeth and my jaw was open. So it was almost the best location. If it was up or down, I would have, you know, shattered my teeth. It was if it was on my full cheekbone, I would have just shattered the cheekbone. So I recovered within a couple months, and I was back at sea.
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, good for you for having the instinct to grab the railing and, you know,
0: somewhat, I guess, try to... Yeah, be, like, with it.
2: Try to, like, leverage your way down to
1: the Or, like, the show ground. that it was yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, you couldn't breathe. Exactly.
0: When they med you then, is that... So they... Did they have to test, like... You know, was there any damage from the gases? Like, how long were you in the actual hospital for? When
1: I got to the hospital, um, I was put on a launch, uh, lowered down on a crane on a backboard, head was secured, all that, because they didn't know the damage that I had when I, you know, hit the deck and fell on the steel beam. And so once I got in the ambulance, they, uh, they asked what had happened, essentially. I couldn't really talk. My mouth was so inflamed. So I had to write down, exposed to H2S. And at that point, they put on masks and they, I had to go into a um, clean room where they washed me down, stripped me down, washed me head to toe, burned all my clothes, couldn't get anything back. And I was in there for the, uh, the night, essentially, until the next day, uh, when I was able to get discharged and everything, so. What yeah. are the
2: long-term effects of being exposed to H2S? Uh,
1: there can be, depending on the concentration. So if you, H2S, for example, You have your exposure limits right so it's weighted in parts per million so if you have like zero to 100 parts per million you'll have kind of a headache uh you may have a runny nose maybe a little dizzy for every 100 parts per million more it gets dangerous over a thousand parts per million of direct concentration will kill you immediately and uh, at that time the ship i was on we were holding between 500 and 700 parts per million so luckily I had did have some oxygen and the wind blew it in me and knocked me out, but it wasn't fully concentrated to kill me.
0: So I'm guessing your company or you know, they took this incident and were like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't have this happen again. So there's gotta be
1: Yes, the commercial industry to kind of for our company, our company is one of the largest shipping company in the United States, uh, for tankers and uh they did a lot i mean they were great to me they checked up on me anything i needed management shoreside um that's why i'm still with them to this day the way they took care of me and they did so many corrective actions to ever prevent this i actually did a movie um a 10 minute like film awareness with the company uh that went out fleet wide and to shell and some other companies uh just to kind of say hey this is what happened this is what went wrong and how to prevent this overall.
0: Well, that's good to hear that they've taken care of you and like, you know, corrective action and things. So that's, you know. Absolutely. That's the only way we're going to get better as an industry is to like, you know, educate people and figure out how to prevent these things. And so from there, was it all smooth sailing after that in your career? (laughs) Or
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You kind of started off with a bang. (laughs) Yeah. Since then, it's been good. I mean, um, I've been sailing for obviously six years now, so five years after that. Uh, sailing second mate, I had a small fire on a vessel in a galley once. We had a. a it's
0: always the uh, galley, isn't it?
1: It's always the galley. <laughs> it's always the galley. And That's it, terrifying, you know, though, on an oil things.
0: tanker to have a fire.
1: Yeah, you don't really want that. And, you know, we have <laughs> one where actually we were doing a fire drill. And at the minute that the fire drill was announced, an actual fire broke out, no. which was lucky because we were all dressed out for the fire um so we were able to uh you know contain the fire um use the wet chem system to put the fire out and no one was hurt uh but yeah i mean you know there's so many instances especially on commercial ships just like yachting where you never know and so much is out of your control i mean engines weather it's just it's all about proper seamanship to mitigate the effects of what you cannot control
0: right I was gonna say you know like one thing that I read about as I'm doing my licensings and stuff it's for the commercial realm it seems more like weather and things for you guys because we can say no right we can turn around and be like yes we could take your boat across the Atlantic but it's gonna get beat up you know like yachts aren't designed to take a hard hit so we can turn around and say like give us a week or give us three days and then we'll go but for you guys it's a lot harder to turn around and say no.
1: It is and uh, obviously I think you both know about the Alfaro what yeah. happened years ago and I th- what came out of that with a lot of companies was the ability and the education to captains, officers and crews to be able to speak up and say no yeah and to be able to take a situation because commercial it's commercial pressure right these companies are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a day to get their millions of dollars worth of product to where it needs to go just in time inventory, right? JIT. And so that's kind of what we operate at. So we need to be able to weigh the ability to please a customer and get where we need to go, but also do it in the safest manner for the equipment, the ship and the personnel on it. Uh, So there's, you know, there's instances I've been on ships where the captain has said, nope, I'm not going Mm -hmm. and told the company I'm not going. And you know, we work for a good company and we work, the oil majors are good, that they listen and they'll say, okay, we trust you. They may ask why, uh, yeah. but as long as we, you know, can provide a good reason, then they're okay with it.
2: Yeah, and rem- and you might've said this in the beginning, but like, as far as like the timing of the year, there are certain months that you have, you know, harder obstacles to to overcome when you're going overseas. Like I would imagine like February or something would be really hard um in the Pacific
1: absolutely so for example like in Alaska when we go up to Homer um Nikiski Valdez you know you have ice to worry about ice mm-hmm. sets in on the docks and you can get ripped off the dock very easy if a piece of ice comes between the ship and the dock the lines can't hold the ship and then you get ripped off and guess what you got a hose with oil going through it not good if you get ripped off the dock so we have to take that into account extra personnel on watch uh, sometimes, even when we're at the dock, we have to have the bridge manned during certain ice conditions up in Alaska, uh, engines ready. So if anything happens, the pilot will stay on board on the ship. So if the ship has to leave immediately, the engine's manned, the engine, or the bridge is manned, the engine's manned, and there's a pilot ready to go, Jeez. Um, along with personnel doing cargo at that same time. So it, it, yeah, it can get pretty intense at times.
0: I'm guessing the critical period for you guys is when you're actually transferring fuel on and off, right?
1: Yeah, the initial transfer, the startup of cargo, whether discharging or loading, is definitely very critical. Um, Constant monitoring, you know, a big thing is the loading. You have your trim and stability of the ship, where you can technically break the ship in half if you load it incorrectly. Uh, Your bending stresses, your shear stresses on the ship. You never want to go down by the head, always have positive trim. on the stern there. So it's taking all that into account while also making sure, you know, it's a dry area and there's no leaks going on.
0: So how long, how many, cause for us it takes a few hours to bunker. How long does it take you guys?
1: To bunker or to load cargo?
0: Oh, sorry, to load cargo, I guess.
1: Uh, So it depends. Uh, Cargos load at different speeds. Crude oil can load it for our ship 20,000 barrels an hour. So we can load the ship in 23 hours, sometimes even 20. And uh, but bigger ships like VLCCs will load 60,000 barrels an hour and they'll Jeez. load in 18 hours. Uh, with gasoline, uh, diesel, you know, you're going to load 5,000 to 8,000 barrels, sometimes 10 to 12, depending on the terminal and what they're capable of doing. So, I've been in port as short as 16 hours and I've been in port as long as 10 days.
0: Whoa, so really, that's crazy! Yeah, so.
1: It just depends. This
0: is all so fascinating because, you know, like, I mean, we we do similar things in the sense with like bunkering and whatever, but it's it's like if we're bunkering for longer than four hours, I'm like, hurry up, you guys. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. It's actually interesting. One of my friends uh, just went from a tanker to a yacht. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, she was offered. A, yeah. She was offered a job in uh, Fort Lauderdale on a yacht and she's taking it up to Boston right now. And she we were just talking and she's like, hey you know, we load, I mean, 20,000 times 40, you're looking at, you know, half a million gallons an hour Mm -hmm. through these hoses. She's like, I'm loading like five, 10, 15, 20 gallons every couple seconds through this little two inch (laughs) hose on the yacht. Yeah, And it's just, you know, but it's still the same type of setup. You know, you can still have a spill. It's not at the, you know, the same kind of consequence that it could be, but it's, it's essentially the same, but really interesting how it differs. Well.
2: Yeah. She's loading a red wine at a faster rate onto that <laughs> yeah. yacht than she is gasoline, you know, exactly. <laughs> would you ever go into another, you know, part of the maritime world, like the yachting world or, um, the tugboat world?
1: <laughs> yeah, I've definitely thought about it. I've had friends go both ways since we have an unlimited tonnage license, I can yeah. pretty much sail on any vessel I want. Um, I think in certain situations, the money can be a lot better in the commercial especially in the tankers and that type of stuff but i've always been up and open to any job just to experience it whether it's tugboats atbs um, osvs yachts anything like that the nice thing that i like and that different from the yachting is uh you don't deal with the people right you deal with your your crew on the ship we're all the same we're just there to get the job done and get home you don't need to please anyone you don't need to Do any of that, so you know it's. I think a little bit easier in the commercial industry when it comes to that.
0: Yeah, actually, the more we're doing this podcast, and the more I'm hearing from like the commercial realm, I'm like, you guys get rotation, like really good pay, and you actually get to have like a home life. (laughs) I might be Uh, joining you on a tanker soon.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, I mean it's great. I mean the health insurance, the pay, the benefits through the union are next to none. So they do treat you really well. Pensions. You know, 401k matches, all that stuff. Um, so, you know, it's a different sector of the industry, but, you know, it, there's pros and cons. I mean, being away for two and a half to three months at a time is a lot as well. Um, versus a tugboat, which sometimes is anywhere between a week to a month at a time.
0: And is Maine home still? or?
1: It is, yes. I'm currently in mid-coast Maine at this beautiful resort looking at the ocean. Uh, oh. I grew up in Kennebunkport, Maine. So there's a lot of mariners from Maine.
0: Yeah, that's what I hear. I've, I haven't been to Maine yet, but I really want to go because yeah. it just sounds beautiful. And it's just mariners everywhere.
1: It's beautiful up here. Oh, Only man. come between the months of July and September.
0: though. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And eat some
1: oysters for us,
0: too. Oh, yeah. so good. Yep. Don't, no, don't do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Malia Ew. doesn't eat seafood. I'm like, oysters, lobster, crab, everything. They're <laughs> my homies. Love it all. Love yeah. it all. <laughs> so what's next for you? Are you going to do second officer or no you are second officer so we, is the next chief i don't know how that works for you guys do you have yes
1: so um i am currently finishing up my classes for my chief mate license yeah, so yeah. i'll be done my classes uh this summer in the fall and then i plan to sit for my unlimited chief mates license slash captain's license uh in the fall late fall wow and, good for uh, you yeah, congratulations then
0: go I'll be studying right along with you. <laughs> and
2: one, awesome. one last question for you. What would you say, like, this is a totally different industry, obviously, than, than yachting and Malia's background. If, if you were to talk to somebody who was interested in getting into this, what hmm. would you tell them to do?
1: Uh, there's a few ways. I mean, first, you can do Hawse which means you go to Piney Point, uh, which is uh, kind of a six-month school for unlimited or for unlicensed mariners, able-bodied seamen, and OSs. Uh, They don't have enough people right now. The industry is struggling for mates and ABs. I mean, they are paying bonuses to get people. So right now is the best time to get in, real good money. Um, So yeah, if you went that way, work on a tugboat, be a deckhand, take your classes, go um, and just start on the base and look it up online. Or if you want to go to one of the six maritime academies, you get a bachelor's of science and your Coast Guard license. Um, And you can just come out of school straight being an officer. That sounds good. (laughs) It's definitely, uh, I would say for the commercial side, the best time to get in. There are not enough people in the industry right now. And the merchant fleet is going to be struggling in the next five years. It's such an aging uh, population, uh, workforce population right now. Well,
0: I am open. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you, Ted. Thanks for coming on. You have some very interesting stories and we uh, wish you luck in your uh, career and your sailing. Be careful out there.
2: Yeah, Ted, you were awesome. It was so great to meet you
0: and chat with you. Thank you so much.
1: Of course, guys. Uh, Take care. Be safe out there as well. And thanks for having me. I appreciate
0: it. Bye, Ted. (laughs) All right. Bye. Oh, my gosh. He is so interesting. Ahudat Media Production.